Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today I am in Isaiah chapter 64. I believe the Lord has given me a word for our country. Most would agree that we have been going in the wrong direction. Most would look around at our society today, and they would agree that we are in trouble. Well, Isaiah has a remarkable prayer, and Isaiah prayed this prayer in a time of national calamity, in a time of great trouble. And I believe that this is a fitting word for our culture today. I want to speak a sermon entitled, Lord, Rend the Heavens. And I pray that this will move each of us to action. And what kind of action? The kind of action that brings the hand and the blessings of God. Actions like prayer and intercession. Action like fasting. Friends, in this sermon, we're going to learn how we bring God's hand back on our country. If today speaks to you, I would love to connect with you in a more meaningful way. You can always download my free mobile app, Awakened to Grace. You can get it wherever you get your favorite apps. I love it when people email me, even though I am completely blind. I get each and every one of your emails, and they make my day. I love to hear who is listening, where you're listening from, and how I can pray for you. So email me today. It is simply pastorchadroberts at gmail.com. I want to invite you to Isaiah chapter 64 this morning. Isaiah chapter 64. I believe I have a word from the Lord this morning. How many of you agree that we are living in unprecedented days? I have been walking a very... Close, tight walk, I feel, pastorally. I began my pastoring career right as George W. Bush was sworn into office. I've been a pastor through Bush's administration, through Obama's administration, through Trump's administration, and now Biden's administration. Throughout all of these years, 20 now, I've been highly consistent in my view of presidents, Washington, and our country at large. My view has always been we pray for our leaders no matter what whether we like them or not, whether we agree with them or not, we pray for them. And that's true. And that will always be true, no matter our politics. The office is worthy of our prayers. However, in years past, I've been very careful not to involve our church in politics. <clears throat> 
My view of much of politics has been budgets or budget cuts or budget increases. But how many of you know we live in a different climate right now today? It's not budgets. It's light and it's darkness. It's morality and it's immorality. Personally, I don't care your politics. I don't care what side of the aisle that you're on. That's not my interest. I don't care to share with you my politics. That's not my interest. But my interest is in God placing His hand on our nation. That we are either going to live under the cursings of God or we are going to live under the blessings of God. And if the church does not lead the way, then how will it take place? So for those of you who have been part of this ministry for a long time, and you may be thinking, well, boy, Chad is dipping his foot more and more into the realm of politics. Let me tell you why. Because the church must speak up. We must. I want to preach a sermon today called, Lord, Rend the Heavens. A couple of weeks ago, we went to the Chamber of Commerce, and we've created a resource called, We the People. We did a prayer night for the nation called We the People. And November 3rd, we released a resource where I sat down with our state senator. I sat down with the CEO of our chamber. And I sat down. Now, you're talking about an intimidating conversation. I sat down with a retired West Point professor. You're talking about feeling out of your league. I felt out of my league. We answered questions like, is America a democracy or are we a constitutional republic? And what's the difference? We asked many, many engaging questions. And I believe we heard from some very important voices. The reason why we are so interested in helping people think well And helping people think biblically is because Satan is trying to tear our nation apart. And this is an hour for the church to lead. Now, how many of you believe we are close to the coming of Christ? I believe that. But just because we are close to the coming of Christ does not mean we bury our heads in the sand. You know, I think about the generation of the 40s. How easy it would have been for the church of the 1940s to have buried their heads in the sand. How easy it would have been to look at how they survived the global pandemic of the Spanish influenza. And after the Spanish influenza, they survived the Great Depression of the 30s. 
And right off the heels of the Great Depression of the 30s rises a monster in Germany named Hitler and Mussolini in Italy and how easy it would have been for the church to look at the landscape of the world and say, surely Christ is coming back. And then Israel forming as a state in 1948, fulfilling an enormous piece of Bible prophecy, how easy it would have been for the church to sit on their hands, bury their heads in the sand and go, Christ will come back any moment. But they didn't do that. You know what the church of that era did? They led the way. Look at America in the 1950s. Look how God raised up a voice named Billy Graham. Look what happened in the Christian world with television and radio and missions. and The church led the way. Friends. The world, our nation, is desperate for the voice of the church today. Isaiah 64, go to verse 1 with me. Isaiah is speaking to his people. Isaiah is speaking to his nation in a time of great difficulty. In a time of national calamity. In a time of national disaster. And this is a remarkable prayer by the prophet Isaiah. And here is the theme of Isaiah's prayer. Can we be saved? Is it too late for repentance? Can the nation be saved? I think this is a fitting word for today. Isaiah begins praying for intervention when he first says in verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens. Another way of saying the word rend is to rip open. Another word would be to tear open the heavens. What a prayer for the church to pray today. Oh, God, that you would rip open the heavens over the church once again. Amen. Now, when has the Lord ripped open the heavens? I want you to understand biblically that there are two bookends to the Lord ripping open the heavens. He first did it at the coming of Christ when he was born to a virgin Mary. The Lord tore open the heavens. And he did a work, according to verses 4, that 3, 4... That no one was looking for. No one was expecting. And God became Emmanuel and dwelt among us. He first tore open the heavens at the birth of Christ. And friends, there's a bookend to this story. He is once again going to tear open the heavens at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So yes, the heavens can be ripped open. As they were with the birth of Christ, when the angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And it will be opened again at the second coming of Christ. But where I want to focus today is what has God and what is God doing in between the birth of Christ and the second coming of Christ? Does God rip open the heavens 
today. Verses 1 through 4, Isaiah is seeking the presence of the Lord. This is what we should be doing as a church. We should be seeking the presence of God. I want you to look at verse 2. Isaiah uses some beautiful imagery here. Isaiah says, just as fire kindles the brushwood. Or in other words, just as fire sweeps through a forest. That's the word picture. Just as the fire boils water. In other words, you always see effect to fire. Just as fire sweeps through a forest, just as fire boils the water, Isaiah is saying, oh God, send your fire once again. Tear open the heavens, rend the heavens, rip open the heavens, and let the fire of God fall. Amen. Amen. And I want to, is it all right if I just give you uh, just a short, brief church history lesson for just a moment? When has God ripped open the heavens between the birth of Christ and the second coming of Christ? Well, in the 1500s, God raised up a righteous soul by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther became known as the Protestant reformer. Martin Luther saw terrible things that the church of his day was doing, and he went to the church of Wittenberg, Germany. He was a German monk, and he wrote out what was called the 95 Thesis. And he nailed them to the church door. You know why he nailed them to the church door? Because that was the public square. You want to know what was going on? You went to church. And he nailed it to the church doors. And God lit a fire through the righteous soul of Martin Luther that swept through all of Europe and transformed the world forever. In those days, do you know what wicked men did? There was a man by the name of John Tetzel. Do you know how St. Peter's Basilica was built in Rome? I've been there. Do you know how St. Peter's Basilica was built? Through what was called indulgences. And do you know what an indulgence was? It was a certificate. It was a salvation certificate. So say you had a loved one who had died. And you didn't know if they were in hell. Or in their view purgatory. You could buy their soul. Out of hell or purgatory. What a wicked. Wicked concept. And it so angered the righteous soul of Martin Luther that he challenged the church. He went before trial. It was called the Diet of Worms. And he went before trial. And when they asked him, not asked him, they demanded him. They proclaimed him a heretic and said, You'll either recant this or you'll be killed. And do you know what Martin Luther said? He said, here I stand, and I cannot do otherwise. And God lit fires throughout Europe that to this day, they've never been quenched through the great reformers of the church. Fast forward to the 1700s. America was comprised of 
just a handful of colonies. We had not yet been formed as a nation. And in the 1730s, God lit the fires through men like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. For then came the first great awakening to this nation. There was a belief back then called deism. Deism swept through the colonies. Deism believed that, yes, God is creator of all things, but he's quite uninterested in human affairs. So God was not involved in much of daily life until what was known as God's lightning rod, George Whitfield, and that mighty preacher, Jonathan Edwards. Edwards was not loud. He was not boisterous. As a matter of fact, he had quite poor vision. And the way Edwards would preach in his colony in Massachusetts, the way that he would preach... I'm sorry, I believe it was Connecticut. You'll have to fact check me. You can Google it. It will tell you. And the way that he would preach is he would hold his sermon close with one hand and he'd hold a lantern right beside it. And they say it was as monotone as all get out. But the man had such power in his prayer life. Do you know what happened the night he preached the world famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? It transformed the nation. And the great awakening came. And it set this nation on the right course. You skip ahead to the 1800s. Just a little north of us in Kentucky. There was a great revival that broke out at camp meeting called Cane Ridge. And there God poured out his glory on our people. Skip ahead to 1904, 1905. There was a young man in Wales named Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts had no talent. He was not the greatest preacher at all. He actually had nothing to offer to the Lord except for himself. And Evan would begin to pray for fire from heaven. And Evan one time, he, he, he was praying before the revival came. And he said, Lord, the altar of my life is ready. The wood is in place. The sacrifice is here. The surrender is here. He said, Lord, there's only one thing needed. I need fire from heaven. And God saw fit to send fire. And it changed all of Great Britain. In the 1904-1905 years. 1906. There was an African-American pastor in Los Angeles named William Seymour. William Seymour was blind in one eye. But his name was S-E-Y-M-O-R-E. Isn't it interesting that a blind pastor could see more? <laughs> Los Angeles, California. Little mission church. Little storefront. Wasn't but a handful, but they knew how to pray. They knew how to pray. Do you know that when fire came to that little storefront, do you know that neighbors called the fire department because they physically saw fire? God wants to rip open the heavens, amen? Nineteen ninety, Brownsville. God chose to pour out His glory. 
When will God do it again? Will God do it in our day? In our generation? Let's look at what Isaiah teaches us. Verse number five. I want you to note this. We first see Isaiah's confession. Now a great transformation happened in Isaiah's life. If you read Isaiah chapters one through five... Isaiah is a true prophet of God. And Isaiah is always saying, woe unto you. But something happens in chapter 6. Isaiah, the year that King Uzziah dies, Isaiah is ushered up to the very throne of God. And in the presence of Jehovah, in the very throne of God, Isaiah no longer says, woe is you. No, you know what he says? He says, woe is me. For I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And what happens? An angel of the Lord takes the piece of coal off the fires of the altars of God. And he touches his lips and he cleanses his life. Amen. And I find it interesting that in Isaiah 64 verse 5, he does not say, you have sinned. You are a nation of sinners. No, you know what he says. We. We have sinned. We have angered the Lord. We are sinners. Let me tell you where national repentance will begin in our nation. It will begin in the house of God. And if the church today would step up to the plate, if we would take our rightful place to lead, we would not point our fingers at a lost and a dying world. We would point our fingers at ourselves and say, God, we repent on behalf of our nation. Let me tell you, there is not any person in this country that is our enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers and authorities in high places, this spiritual wickedness that's working against our nation. We better have the right perspective. And it's not them. It is us. It is not them. It is we. We must repent. Amen. If judgment's going to begin, let it begin at the house of God, Peter said. Are you willing to repent? Christians think that once you're saved, you've already done that. No, repentance is ongoing. It is ongoing. And let me tell you, I have to repent often. I watch the news way too much. Anybody else news junkies? And let me tell you, there are those. They make me so mad. They make me so angry. I can feel my blood pressure going up right now. There are certain news stations that sometimes I'll just listen to it just to yell at it. But see, here's where we have to be careful. When we are critical and we are sharp-tongued, you know what we're doing? We're feeding that darkness. We're empowering that darkness. Instead of griping and bickering and arguing and yelling and fussing, you and I ought to rise above it and say, No, I bind those wicked spirits in Jesus' name. 
Bring light where there's darkness. Bring clarity where there's confusion. Bring righteousness where there is sinfulness. Amen. And if you and I were wise biblically, what we would do is not attack the person. We would attack the principalities that's against our nation. If you enjoy the daily broadcast of Awaken to Grace, then I want to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. You can get our podcast wherever you get your favorite shows. Simply search Awaken to Grace Weekly Sermons.